Hey, everybody, it's Ryan Ripley. Wanted to get a new offering in front of you as soon as possible, evidence-based leadership. And so, as you all know, Todd Miller, myself, and Will Seeley, we're big on evidence-based management. We want to apply it to the leadership space. We all know that modern managers face complex challenges every day. You're juggling a lot of needs, your direct reports, your stakeholders, your customers, they all need constant attention. What we want to do is help you manage that. We want you to use information and data to make good decisions around all of these areas so that we're delivering the right thing at the right time for the right customer. And we know that we're doing that because we're using data and evidence to validate all the things that we're doing. And not only that, we're not just looking at value, but we're looking at our capabilities as an organization. Can we deliver on time? Can we innovate effectively? Do we have too much tech debt? Do we have too many things in process? Are we unable to deliver when the market demands that we do? We look at all of these things with evidence-based management. We merge that into a leadership uh, mindset and lens, and we enable you to make new and better decisions repeatedly based off of the data that you're collecting within your organization. It's exciting stuff. We hope you can join us. Visit agileforhumans.com forward slash EBL course. Join us in one of these offerings. We think you're going to love it. Hope you can join us. Use Agile for Humans, the number four to take another 15% off of this course. And uh, we can't wait to see you there. Agile for Humans is brought to you by Audible.com. Get one free audiobook and a 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com forward slash agile. Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player, including Scrum, The Art of Doing Twice the Work in Half the Time by Jeff Sutherland, and Crucial Conversations by Carrie Patterson. Visit www.audibletrial.com forward slash agile to enjoy your free audiobook today. Hey everybody, Ryan Ripley here. Just wanted to give a quick intro to this episode. It's a little different than what we normally do with the show. This is actually a recording of an advanced scrum session that I did at the Path to Agility conference earlier this year in Columbus, Ohio. Uh, a lot of people attended it. It got a lot of interest. Uh, the attendees rated it very highly, so I thought... You know, maybe this could be interesting to the, the podcast uh, listenership as well. So here it goes. This is Advanced Scrum at the Path to Agility Conference. I hope you enjoy it. Please leave me some notes about this. Uh, I would love to read your comments or uh, listen to your voice messages. And just let me know what you thought of this and uh, was it helpful? Processes and tools dominate today's Agile discussions. But we are devoted to the individuals and interactions that make it work. From the beginner to the veteran practitioner, we have something for you. Welcome to Agile for Humans. All right, we ready for some advanced scrum or tough questions? few questions for you guys first. Um, who here has sat through one of the two-day courses or offerings from Scrum Alliance, Scrum.org, and has gotten a, a base level certification? Almost the entire room? Good. All right. So what this talk is really about, well, actually, let me talk about, let me introduce myself first. I'll, uh, I'll do the proper intro. So I'm Ryan. Uh, the website's ryanrickley.com. There's my email. There's my Twitter. Feel free to reach out at any time if you want to. If you have questions about this talk, anything else that comes up, uh, more than happy to discuss Agile. Um, perhaps do it too much, so feel free to reach out. Um, I host a podcast. It started as um, 
if I find his agile coaches and scrum master, we need support groups, right? So you're at, you're at a client site and uh, it's not going great. It's always great to have a coach or someone else you can talk to. Well, we did this over Skype and one day, I'm not sure if you guys are familiar with Don Gray. Do we know Don? He's a coach out in North Carolina. He said, why don't you record this and publish it? Thought, all right, we'll see what happens. Well, it's now turned into the uh, top downloaded Agile podcast on iTunes. And so this is something that I host every week with uh, Tim Oninger. He's on a lot, so our keynoter. Uh, from this morning's on uh, quite a bit. We've had Esther Derby, Woody Zool, a number of, of great Agilists far smarter than me. Come on, and I stay quiet. They talk a lot, and it's really a, a lot of knowledge out there. So if you're into podcasts and, and you know how to get to them, uh, I encourage you to check that out because of all the great guests that come on. Um, otherwise, you know, I heard we were swapping certification stories back here. Um, I've passed a lot of tests, uh, I think is the, the way to put this. So I, I've been through a lot of the, the two-day courses, and, and I find them, find them interesting as an introduction, right? But once you get back to your company, a lot of different things happen. And this is what this talk is about. This is what, you know, once you get out of the two-day class, once you get past the theory, you actually start getting to a, a practical space. Uh, the world isn't clean, and it's not pretty, and sometimes things go sideways. And that's what this session, uh, this is what I hope we get into. Uh, the hashtag for this conference is Path17. So a lot of people ask, you know, why do you put the hashtag up? Why is this important? Well, this conference has grown year over year because people like you share on Twitter. You know, for, it's a phenomenon, right? You take a picture, you hear something quotable, and when you tweet it out, other people are like, hey, that's something neat. Maybe I should check out that conference next year. So what it does, it helps Koha, it helps CareWorks Tech, all the, you know, Faye Thompson, our great organizer here, it helps all those people spread the word about this conference. It helps to get more and more speakers to come and actually you know, present their knowledge. It's helpful. So if you are going to tweet or, or Instagram or Facebook or I think Snapchat's a thing that my, my younger sister talks about. I don't know what that is. But if you're going to do any online social media stuff, Path17 is a hashtag and they really appreciate you using it. So the problem with Scrum, not that Scrum is a problem, but the problem of it and this is fundamentally, this is the insight that I've come to after a number of years of, of banging my head against a wall uh, with Scrum. It's not a problem-solving framework, right? So it does not solve your problems. What it does is find, it'll find each and every problem in your organization. It'll find all the dysfunction and put it front and center, which means an advanced Scrum class or an advanced Scrum talk, this is normally a, a four-hour workshop where there's a lot of brainstorming and ideation, for a 75-minute session, I can't possibly know what all of you could, would consider to be advanced scrum, right? So I need your help. And actually, I've had this theory. So when you come to a conference, you see a lot of speakers, and we all have a can to talk. And it hit me one day that this is a waterfall way to deliver agile knowledge, right? So think of it like if I had put together a whole slide deck, I'm sitting at home ahead of time putting together what I think you might want, but not getting any feedback from you at all until at the very end of my talk. What does that sound like? Is that a waterfall project? So for this type of class that's very contextual, that's very uh, subjective, and because we're agilists and we're going to try new things, I thought, let's do a different format. So before I can actually give this, and I know this, some of you are like, what? 
what is this guy talking about? So before I can do the talk, I need your questions. So you are the product owners of this session. You own the outcome of how this will go. All I am is a worker who will provide outcomes to you. All right? So I need roughly 15 to 20 questions before I can actually start the slide deck and get going. So does that make sense? Or are we, are we kind of like this? So let me get set. All right, who's going to fire one off first? Yes, ma'am. So is your question, how do we get there? Yes. And your name? Mary. Okay, Mary, thank you. All right, we got we broke the ice. To tag along with Mary's question, does it, have you ever used the Agile Fluency Framework uh, Ooh. to help get to, as far as trying to understand each, uh, how mature teams are or organizations? This question is, uh, I just put Agile Fluency Framework question mark, and that's from James. All right. How to make um, agile work in a hybrid uh, waterfall agile environment? That'll be quick. <laughs> Hold on one second. Sorry. Your name, sir? Jeff. Jeff. I just asked the name in case uh, we have clarification later, because I, by the time we get through twenty questions, I will have forgotten who asked that one. Uh, question four. Okay, so distributed teams. And your name, sir? Chris. Chris, thank you. Who else has a question? Sure. Yeah. Good question. Your your name? Karina. Spell please. C A R I N A. Thank you. Question six. You guys are doing great. We're getting through this quickly. Yes, sir. Team member that hasn't bought in yet. Team member hates Scrum. <laughs> I do reserve the right to to edit questions for comical value. And your name, sir? Rob. Rob. Thank you. Who's next? What comes after Agile? And your name? Randy. Randy? That, wow, okay. Next, we only have eight. Yes. Best way to forecast for delivery timeline on. Should come to my no estimates talk next hour. I'm going to. Forecast delivery, uh, yeah, your name, sir? Eric. Eric. Thank you, Eric. Question nine. To dovetail off Rob's uh, strategies for addressing active and passive change resistance. Change resistance. So it. Fledgling or more mature. So is your how to how to address resistance to change? Okay. Okay. And your name, sir? 
Thank you, Mark. Who's my next product owner? Scrum Success with part-time product owner. Scrum with a part-time product owner? Scrum with part-time product owner. And is your question, should you? What should you? What success looks like with a part-time product owner? What does it look like? It looks bad. But, <laughs> <laughs> um, but we can talk about that. Your name? Manish. Please spell. M-U-N-I-S-H. Thank you, Manish. All right, product owner 11. Where are we at? Go ahead. How do we get team members to embrace the T-shape? T-shaped. How do we bend people into T's? Okay. Got it. And your name, sir? Mark. Next question. All right. It's like this. Actually, I don't know it. This is that's a fun one. So we'll get into that. I don't know a T shape. I don't know anyone who's T shaped. I'm more I shaped, but. Yeah. Some would say, oh, but I find that offensive. <laughs> Go ahead. Is, is Lean Kanban Advanced Scrum? Is Lean Kanban Advanced Scrum? Okay, your name? Joe. Joe? Thanks, Joe. All right, question 13. Who's my next product owner? Me. I'm sorry, who's me? Teresa, hi. Uh-oh, you've been voluntold. Uh, about them being assertive. Um, I know we're talking about, we're in here for Scrum, but I mean, the question seems to be more about Agile overall. Sure. I work for a very large company, over 100,000 employees, you know, globally. Um, like, in your professional experience, if you're trying to make the move to Agile practices, you know, like, when when you see it being successful, how long is it, it going to take? Like, I know it can be scaled, but I mean, like, everybody else has sort of alluded to, you know, early adoption has been a problem. Like, what's the point So you're asking where, me, where's the unicorn? Yes. Okay. Where's the point where we're like, screw it, I give up? Okay. I think the part where you say 100,000. <laughs> okay, your, your name again? Teresa. Please spell. T-H. Okay. Thank you, Teresa. Who's, all right, 14. How much training background should developers have in Agile and Scrum before you go down this road? That's a great question. Your name, sir? Tom. Tom? Thanks for that. <laughs> <laughs> question 15. Who's my next product owner? How to address iterations and eruptions by management without getting fired. So many jokes just flew through my head. I'm like, which one should I? So I, interestingly enough, I'm a former director at a uh, Fortune 200 company, and so I actually have a lot of empathy and sympathy for management. And so this is not in any way, shape, or form going to be a bash management conversation. In fact, I think we fail them quite a bit. So but we'll get into that when we, uh, when we answer that question. Your name, sir? Ken. Ken, thank you for that question. 16. Who's got one? I love these follow-ups because I'm just going to cram it all into one answer. It makes it easy for me. It's great. Like what Teresa asked and Ken just said, like, how to face challenges when a big organization going through the transformation? You know, 
we are kind of in the middle where we are trying to get there, but still there is a lot of resistance from you know, the change. Okay, so we're resistance to change. Anything specific there? Basically, from business side, like I'm, I'm talking from IT perspective. Resistance to change from an IT perspective, from or from the business. business okay, cool. Thank you. Your name? Nandi. N A N D I. N A N D I. Thank you, Nandi. All right, where are we at? You guys are great product owners, by the way. This is uh, the smoothest this has ever gone. 17. Who's got it? There's going to be a lot, right? So we'll, we'll see how fast we get through. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're up. Um, I guess um, I'd like to know some different um, tools or processes to implement um, some like uh, improvement opportunities that come out of inspect and adapt or like retros in a scaled environment. All right. What's your question? <laughs> um, Come on. So, what would you like to know about? So, how do we how do we get people or teams or people to take ownership while they're still you know? So, if if things to do come out of that, um, how do we own our retro how items? Do we, how do we have accountability for some of that stuff while like per, keep progressing? And so, how do we have accountability for continuous learning? Yes. Is that where you're after? Okay. I might need Jessica's help for that. Your name, sir? Alan. Alan. All right, we're getting a pretty full backlog. Number 18. Yes. And then we'll come here. Go, you first. How do you say unified definition of agile? Unified definition, what, so what is the definition of agile? Right. Okay. We're already doing it. Your name, sir? Matt. Matt, thank you, Matt for an incredibly difficult and vague question. I appreciate that. <laughs> I, I don't, did, I put stump, did I put Stump the Chump on the first slide? Uh, to hear. Our IT organization, business organization, is just starting on the Agile journey. So, um, Congratulations. Thanks. <laughs> I think. Um, so my question is around estimation and prioritization of work yeah. in a predominantly fixed bid environment. Fixed bid, okay. And obviously we need to catch the business processes up there, but we're going to have to live like that for a while. Sure. Your name? Ryan. Hey, good name. <laughs> Another Ryan. Nice. We, we travel in packs. We do. We stick together. We so must. At the end of this journey, philosophically, are you going to agile yourself out of an agile standard framework and go into something much more customized? So that's similar to the question of what's after Agile, right? Yeah. So can we cover it there? Sure. So who's got number 20? Um, sir, I like your hairdo. We're good. What's, what's the most common reason for failure on a new Agile team? Sure. Common reasons for failure. Your name? Frederick. All right, so you guys did beautifully. And now I have a slide deck, and we can do a talk. And that only took like 10 minutes. So great job, POs. Nice job. Thank you. That's, that's difficult. That's actually to get 20 good questions put together and a slide deck fired off in less than 10 minutes. It's phenomenal. I think you guys did wonderfully.
First question, CICD how-to from Mary. Where's Mary? All right, Mary, what's going on with the continuous integration, continuous delivery? What, what are we trying to get to? Um, we're trying to get to uh, every commit goes to production within a reasonable amount of time. Every commit produces a bill, um, gets uh, auto-tested, whatever that means to the organization. Um, you know, what tools are the best tools out there to make that happen? Yeah, so this how is... How do you deliver to production with the, the least risk and bang for the buck? Well, I think you just hit on it, and so many of the rules, policies, practices that we put in place as an organization are actually designed to prevent us from shipping. Does that make sense to you? So when we require a PR request with three reviewers, a code review, a legal review, uh, three stakeholders must bless it, you know, throw holy water on it, anything that we do like that, we're actually, every rule prevents shipping. So I think the first thing that I've done... Uh, I think, I know. I've mapped out these processes. What does it take to go from an idea to production? Have you done value stream mapping? Are we familiar with this concept? And so every step, every process, every practice that it takes to go from an idea to product and start looking at why, questioning why we do each step. Now sometimes it's good, right? And so if you're in a regulated environment, so I spent a lot of my career in medical device, so the FDA is very strict about what we ship to production and when and how we do it. So there are actually fiduciary penalties for not following some of those practices. But it is possible to take those practices way too far, usually because someone made a mistake, right? Rules typically pop up because mistakes happen. And so we have two, two, two activities here. First of all, figure out where the fear is by mapping out you know, the practices. And then figure out how do we do small experiments to start shortening that cycle? Because really it's cycle time from dev to product. And how do we, let's say right now it's 30 days. You know, just throw a number out. How do we make it look like 28? Or what, what experiment can we do that shortens it? Because I don't think it's ever wise to go big bang with this. It's dangerous, that's risky. Like today it takes us 30 days, tomorrow it takes us 30 seconds. I don't think there's a lot of intelligence there. But if you can map out what it takes to go from dev to production, figure out if there's a safe spot to start cutting time, or to save time, or to remove a practice that wasn't necessary, I would start there. And also partner with the business and your dev teams. Ask them where the pain is, because even if you map it out, there could be something else going on that they know about that you don't. So I think at first it's collaborative effort, uh, visualize the work stream, conduct small experiments, and then check your results. And that's how I've, I've always done CICD. Very slowly, very carefully, and incrementalism is your friend. Is that good? Yeah. I think you'd be surprised how many people in your organization don't realize how many rules have been piled on that prevents you from shipping a product. I think that awareness is a great first step. Thank you for the question. Number two, Agile Fluency Framework from James. What's your concerns about the Agile Fluency Framework? Game? So not necessarily concerns, I just don't know much about it. I know uh, Diana Larson, she whipped it out at an Agile Coach camp maybe a couple years ago. Um, and I know she has a blog, her and some other cat. I just wanted to know, is that something that you use as an Agile Coach when you go into an organization? So I have looked at it, and I, I've gone to Diana's talks. I think James Shore is a gentleman who co-developed this with her. And I think it's an interesting model, 
in that it allows the company to decide the level of investment they want to make in address. And so I think the first step is ship something. And the next step is optimize what you ship. And the third step is optimize your product path. You know, there's, I can't recall the entire model, but there's these stages. And there's a value at each stage. And so what it does is it shows you if we're willing to invest X amount of time, X amount of dollars, we could get to where we're shipping something pretty consistently. We take the next step, now we're optimizing our product pretty well and we're shipping that pretty consistently. I think what it allows is for some of these larger companies with a lot of legacy baggage to make an intelligent decision about their agile transformation. And actually transformation is a, is a terrible word. Basically just their agile change, right? Because that's really what it is. Uh, so I think from that standpoint, it's good. The damage or the, the dangers or the concerns or the risk, whatever word you want to throw on it, with a model like this, is that this becomes the goal, right? So we have a model with six possible stages. I think Diana and James' idea is that each stage is fine. Like you, you're deciding where you want to go. I think where it gets interesting is some companies decide if we're not at stage six, we're failing. And it, it turns into the scoreboard metrics, right? Hey, we hit level five, we must be doing great, let's do level six. But six makes no sense to our company, our investment, our context. So that would be my only concern. But as far as enabling a choice and helping companies make a, a smart decision about the, the methods, the practices, the coaching, and all of that, I think it's wonderful. Any other questions about the ad? You guys are allowed for follow-up, right? So similar to the CMM maturity model? No, it's not. It's more around um, what fluency at a certain level would look like from an outcome perspective. So the first level would be we're able to ship, right? We can actually release to production. I think that's the first level. What I meant is it's an agile maturity. I wouldn't, um, I wouldn't look at it as maturity. I, I think that's a... Um, that's a term we're using inside our report. Yeah. It's, it's fine if, if that's the way you go. I think of it more like, I like fluency. What it means is we understand practices at a certain level and we're making an investment at that level, but it doesn't state, it wouldn't be a, a determination of how mature you are at that level. Does that make sense? There's a nuance there. Yes? Is this related to the base camp assessments? The base camp assessments? I, the maturity model seems like what it is. One of the things that we have done from our investment strategy within technology, we have tiering system. If there is there's a different investment strategy when you are impacting direct um, contribution to the top line versus more of the standard back office support system. Yeah, I and think that's, that's where you good. see what, what's good enough from yeah. an, from your MVP point of view. You mentioned that, hey, does it even make sense to be five because three is good enough for us? It sounds like there's congruence there. It's, I'm a big fan of fit for purpose. Right? So you don't walk into a 200-year-old financial firm and say, all right, mob programming, ship to product a thousand times a day, uh, throw out the mainframe. No, you don't do that. Right? It's, it's just not, it's not the way to go with that. For them, it's an incremental improvement in their processes and practices. So I think fit for purpose is really the big message of, of, of the majority of these models. Anything else here? How to make Agile work in a hybrid environment. So where's Jeff? So you're living this, I take it? Yeah, I mean, we're uh, kind of 
fit the description you just talked about. An organization, we've been around for a little while. We're not that, not 150 years old. But, sure. Um, we do have some legacy you know, systems um, and looking to move to a, a, an agile you know, approach. Um, so my question is, is while some of our, it seems like based on risk and some of the things I've heard as, we're, as I'm learning about it, is that some of our approaches should stay or maybe are better if they stay more waterfall and the trick is selecting the right ones to move to agile or maybe the trick is selecting the right ones to move to agile first yeah let me um i'm going to cheat so we're on number three let me uh where's my stacy diagram here so the reason you select agile, uh how many have seen the stacy diagram before so what this is it shows uh, the y-axis is level of agreement the x is how far from certainty so if you are close to certainty and close to agreement on what you're trying to do, whether it's software or anything else, don't do Agile. The overhead, the ceremonies, the cost, it's way too high. You're not discovering anything. You already know everything you need to know, and you have agreement. Just go build the thing. Ship it and be done. Uh, where Agile, the sweet spot, is where we are far from agreement and far from uh, certainty. We're, we're more uncertain than we are certain about what we're supposed to be doing. And so this is where, if you've seen the Kinefin model, it's the, the probe. Like we're, we're sending out probes to see what, what, what makes sense. We're taking that feedback and we're adjusting. So we live in the complex space. So if you're not there, Agile doesn't make sense. Okay? Does that help? Yeah, so you're saying if, if I'm not in the blue area, don't do Agile. I, well, I'm not going to tell you what to do. So, but if I were in your company consulting or coaching, I would, I would urge not to. Simply because it, it wouldn't make it's too expensive. Agile, I believe, can be more expensive than a waterfall implementation, right? But it's you pay that cost because you are uncertain, okay? But if you have certainty around what you're doing, then what what outcome are you trying to achieve with Agile then? Why are we going to Agile? Right. Um, again, looking to be able to be essentially faster to market looking for opportunities to be more flexible to better support our business. Sure. So and you want some of the complaints we've had from our business is you guys are too slow. You take too long. You're right. not react you know, you're you know not reacting fast enough. So, so do you I believe think. that your programmers will type faster once you adopt agile? No, but it's but but, it, but this is it's not a question to, to belittle or, or to no, no, no. Yeah. Because here's the thing. If I program for a full day, right, and I've written code all day, this is back to Tim Oliver's <coughs> keynote, thought workers, right? And I, I lose that code. I didn't check it in to get, you know, bad Ryan. I'm a bad, I, I've had some bad practices. Computer crashes, I lose the code. All I have is a printout of eight hours worth of code. How long does it take me to retype eight hours and get it checked in again? No. I can, I, I'm just retyping a printout of eight hours worth of work. That's 30, 40 minutes at the most, right? Well, what was the rest of the time? It was thinking, ideation. So we don't compress that with Agile, right? We, we, we prevent some of the losses because we're, we have good craftsmanship and practices, but this is a thinking world. And so we don't get development faster. What we do is release sooner. Right. And so right. now it's a commitment to MVP, right. or it's a commitment to there's 100 things they asked for, but we're only going to do 10 because we know those 10 are critical and let's get the feedback. So if that's a mentality you're trying to shift, I mean, that, that's that awesome. Is, it's exactly right. But Breaking it down and delivering smaller pieces sooner 
get the value of those sooner rather than waiting three months to the next release. So then your, your challenge will come in, essentially, as you're shipping sooner, your waterfall <coughs> dependencies will not be in alignment with you. Right. Yes. And it will become a nightmare to align to them. That's the question. So decouple. So part of your work stream then becomes, how do we decouple from these waterfall uh, work streams? And if you can't, then they need to be in your daily, daily scrum and your stand-ups, and you, gotta get, you have to find some congruence and collaboration there if you can't decouple. But I think the Nexus framework, David West is here. hope he's not in here. He knows more scrum than I do. But uh, he's here talking about Nexus. That whole framework is all about uh, decoupling uh, from a waterfall set up to, or decoupling dependencies, which is really what you're after. Okay? Thanks. Yeah. Distributed teams. Where's Chris? How many, how many locations? Not that it matters. 20? 20. So how is that working for you? No, we haven't tried it Oh. So how, how are you working today, though? Waterfall. Uh, and how's it going? Terrible. Terrible? What is terrible about it? Um, we we don't have our own in-house developers, so we go get Capgemini. Okay. Requirements that doesn't sound terrible. But <laughs> go ahead. Give them requirements. Give them a pile of money. Oh, so you're shipping things over the wall. Okay. So that's painful. It, it, yeah. It, but I've been told by high ups. Hey, we're getting gradual. Um, How does that change the relationships that you have with Cap Gemini? I'm sorry, with your consulting. With, yeah, it's not just Cap. We have like. Well, I'm sure. Um, that's what I'm trying to figure out. I mean, how do I handle my standups? How do I do? How do I? Do, who is the, where does the product owner live? What, you know, what is that whole situation? How do I work? Yeah. So it sounds like you have all outsourced teams, not just distributed. Right. And no one's co-located, so the product owner will be an internal employee at your company, um, basically giving orders to an offshore dev team. Right. So I think in your case, you're always going to have the handoff scenario. Um, I don't believe Agile lives in this space. You're the second expert. So, but it's a controversial stance. There's plenty of people willing to sell you Agile services in this space. Um, I personally have walked away from these engagements. Like, I won't do this. So it's, I'm not saying don't, but I'm saying there are coaches who just say this is not a great idea. Yes? Is it possible for him to have one of the people on the site that say capture WS or whatever his own company have them back as the product owner? So you want to outsource the thought leadership of your product? voice of someone there that can sort of be in the same room. Yeah, you're getting... It's a Chinese telephone situation, though, right? So you have a product. So you have a product owner in a company who has multiple stakeholders. You're, I'm assuming you're in a very large company to be contracting with Captain. So your core product owner probably has a thousand people firing in requests. There's probably requests coming in around the back to other people. So you already have a mess on this side. Now you want to have a person embedded with your multiple partners. So you have this one person telling five other people what they could possibly be building. I see trouble there. I see coordination overhead. I see a lot of expense. Um, I think you're in a space where you will continue to have large requirement documents, but you'll pretend to call them stories. I think you're in a space where um, one team might be a little better at shipping sooner than another, and now you're going to have integration issues. 
right? If they actually give you code back, which sometimes they don't. If I actually see you amplifying all of your function, which is what Agile and Scrum will do, but with no remedy. Awesome. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> what, what do you think Agile is going to do for you? Sounds like it's being imposed on him. Exactly. Okay. So that's also a red flag where I typically walk away. Yes. So, so if Agile is in the solution, then what is? Well, it's an organizational dysfunction, right? So this is not a great way to work. This is a company that, so this is where I get in trouble. Um, <laughs> This is a company that's friends. decided that, yeah, we're all friends. <laughs> no what is this guy? <laughs> so I don't know which company, so I'm speaking generically. Fair? I think when companies do this, they decide that people are commodities and that skill is uh, fungible. We can just swap one person in and out, and I think it's a horrible way to treat people. And I don't think Agile lives in that space. So. I think the, the way, if you want to work in an agile context, you either change your organization or you change your organization. Right? <laughs> and I'm sorry, I don't mean to be a downer, but I'm not going to give you a snake oil. Well, I, uh, I, uh, we, have, we do have a lot of champions at the aggression. So there's opportunity to support as far as sure, changing the organization. Yep, I, and I don't know your company. I'm speaking very generally, and so I, there could be there could be markers there that, that look better, that perhaps the answer would be different. I found typically though Agile struggles to live and thrive in that type of environment. So it's creative. Yep, sir. So um, I piloted a project almost identical to what he's describing last year it was too chaotic and we actually have representative representative team from the consultant with us to do the actual events. But there was the one uh, the other team was helping out at us. So there was uh, a real drop off application and there were just way too many handouts. And if I had to do it again it's you're probably going to, even though you, you stated that things aren't going well with Waterfall, I honestly believe things will be worse with Agile for you. So if you go back to your Stacy diagram, yeah. where do you think his business Chaos. Falls? Chaos? <laughs> yeah, it's outside of complex. That's chaos. And I, I'm sorry, this guy's like, I hate this guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I look for him, this guy sucks. <laughs> I just, I don't, I, I think there's a level of professionalism in the Agile coaching environment that we have to maintain. And from an integrity standpoint, I can't tell you anything different unless facts change. Sure. So, so as a follow-up, follow I know our organization has a terrible problem with our optional team and and we're all internal, yeah. that communication, the time difference. Yep. Um, I know how they solved it. How do you solve it? How do I, I don't do it. <laughs> I don't do it. I work in a co-located <laughs> company. Every, I mean, large companies have teams in India, teams in assumption. London. There's an assumption in your question that Agile lives everywhere. And I, I, I question that assumption. I don't believe that's true. So do you not split the product across the ocean? No. Why would, why would you outsource your, your thought leadership? Cost. It's internal employees. They just live in India. Okay. Or they live in London or London. It doesn't matter where. 
I, I, I oh, agree with you. I, I think agree. Ryan mentioned this, like you should ask your leadership why you want to implement Agile. Right? Yeah. Because someone wants Agile, you come and do Agile. But there has to be some problems, right? I, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with your company. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with your practice. When I consult the Agile Manifesto, it tells me face-to-face, -face, which implies co-location. So now if you have internal employees who are distributed across the globe for very good reasons, if you can achieve some kind of congruence and collaboration with Skype, like you can get everything as much as possible face to face. You know, they wake up early in the morning, you get up late at night, there's that kind of high, high velocity communication and collaboration. You can make that work. It's less ideal than co-location, is my only point there. Okay? I've upset you and I haven't done it intentionally. No, that's how we solved it. We, we didn't split the product across the ocean. Yeah. So the, the ADM is over there, the ADM is over here. Perfect. And if you're shipping and selling and your customers are delighted, by a high quality product, you're winning. Okay? Shuha Ree. Karina. Yeah. What's up with Shuha Ree? So. Um, Thank you for that, by the way. I appreciate you zeroing that in. When I heard the Agile Fluency uh, model earlier, it made me think of the Shuha Ree model. Um, and it. I don't know that I have a question there. I, I So just I, general comments on Shu Hari? I would like to hear what people think of it. Yeah. I can tell you what I think of it. And then I, we actually did a podcast episode on this. So Neil Killick is a no estimates pioneer. Do we know Neil Killick? Anybody? So he and I talked extensively about Shu Hari on an episode. Uh, we both find it to be kind of rubbish. Right? It's, so Shu Hari is there, there's an assumption that First of all, there are three stages of Agile adoption, and then you could actually know where you're at with any kind of level of accuracy or awareness, which I don't believe in. Um, furthermore, if you look at the model of Shuhari, you pretend that it, it is something legitimate, which there's good arguments both ways. I've never seen a team in real mastery of all things and, and, and perfection across this. I don't, I've never seen it. I think a lot of teams have, can have re-qualities, they can be really good at collaboration, but they suck at shipping. So does that make them shoot? I don't know. You get into some of these conversations that, you know, it's, um, it's like you get a bunch of PhDs or, or university types together, and the nuances just eat, eat your brain until you just want to drink. But uh, I think it's a fine model if you want to just have a very high-level view of, hey, we're kind of new, we're in shoe, what could how look like? That's a fun discussion to have with the team. But if you're using it as a benchmark, a metric, something like that, I'm not a fan of it. Right. Yes, ma'am. I But when you start basing real decisions on them, that's where I get very, very concerned. I also start to create this uh, scout, the solving problem. I have a yeah. boss right now that he loves to, hey, we need to challenge this team to, to get better at X, Y, and Z. Oh, they're storming. They're, they're fine. They're storming. 
No, we can help them. Another story. Yeah. And why challenge them? Why not just ask them? Can you send out the reference to where I'll send a tweet out about yeah, where it would be. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, yeah I, it was an interesting read. It was just a, this is a mechanic thing. So I, it's in a bunch of books I've read. I know, it's been published all over the place. It's not a bad model. It's just, it was not based on anything but conjecture. And so, someone finally asked, what's the source, where's the study, where's the research, where's the anecdotal evidence, and there was none, right? It's me saying that a high sugar diet will make you thin. Could, not likely, right? There's just nothing behind it, yeah. So, I was a bad product owner, and I didn't ask my question well. Okay. Um, I, I think it's interesting, the response, but I think that the Shuhab read, as a model, probably is a bad way of me asking. What would you like to ask then? So, yeah, so, as I understand it, the shoe, it's a level, but it's not, it's not fair to call it a level. It's a, it's a way of practicing. Sure. And ha is a way of understanding, and re is a way of being. And as I understand it, that is a cyclical thing. So you, so you start practicing and not quite understanding why you're doing daily stand-ups, but you start to see value in it. Right. Right. And then you start to really feel it. And if you were to take it away, you say, that was actually valuable. I want to keep doing it. Yeah. So, so I'd, like to, I'd like to suggest an alternate way of looking at it than, than like it's a model to evaluate teams. I think you're right. It's not a good idea to use it to evaluate teams. And I appreciate that. It leaves out a critical step, right? So when we master anything, I'm sorry I don't have, I wish I had a flip chart. But essentially, a, a new person to a topic will learn, will read a book, and feel like they've mastered it, and they get to, to the top of what people call Mount Stupid, <laughs> right? And then as they move into Ha, they start sloping down, and they realize how little they know about the thing they're studying and trying to master. And then they try to get to this upper echelon. What I find about Agile, I've studied Agile um, for the last, or I've been interested in this for the last 15, 17-ish years. And the more I learn about it, the less I realize I know. Right? And so to pretend that a model like this, I think it's good for discussion. I think it's good for teams to do their own self-assessment and evaluation and, and to, to drive that conversation. Anything outside of that, that would be, I think you're right. I, I think we agree. Yeah. Hey, you're just waving at me? Hi, Good to see you. Yeah, buddy. buddy. Okay, so I owe you a tweet. <laughs> well, yeah, he was, uh, I think I might have done that. That came out session. Yeah. Somebody called and said, it's all this seems like anybody refers to that. Are you kidding me? He had no idea yeah, yeah. that I've heard of that. Little study or that paper all the time. It's in every actual book. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I haven't even looked at that in years. There's verification. Thank you, Peg. I think it's on some of the tests. It is. <laughs> it's, it's on the uh, PMI ACP. <laughs> 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 Question six. Team member hates Scrum. Um, so there's, I'm going to skip a little bit. Many reasons that team members hate Scrum. Typically what I have found is that when Scrum is forced. Uh, the interesting thing about Agile, it was always a voluntary thing. It's an opt-in. You can't just make someone be Agile. Like that's coercion. We resist coercion. I can't make you do anything. 
So typically, the team members that I find are totally disengaged. Something's been forced. They weren't asked. Uh, coercion is a play. Avoid that, and this situation hopefully resolves. If you already have a person in that situation, one-on-one -on -one conversations, uh, be very caring and kind, and if uh, it's already damaged, find them a different place to land, and, and don't allow this disgruntled nature to spread. Okay? Yes? So, sometimes team members, they don't hate, or they're not hostile to Scrum, but they want to bring old practices into Scrum. Sure. Like, hey, give me a, st your story should be like four pages long, with all the, every acceptance criteria down to last detail. I won't have these ad hoc conversations. So, you know, they're in Scrum, they're attending ceremonies, doing all those things, but the mind is somewhere else. It takes time. So, part part of it is expectations. And I think, um, I heard this from Tim the other day, uh, expectations are just premeditated anger. Right? <laughs> you have an expectation you haven't expressed to someone and you're waiting for them to not meet it, you're just waiting to be angry. And so that's, uh, I think it's a, so something we need to work on is just as humans. You know, that person may not even know the expectation. So I once had a scheme that I inherited, and we were running through sprints, and they were struggling, and I said, wait, 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 wait. And I thought at the time it was a crazy question. Who's actually read the scrum guide? And no one on that team raised their hand. All right, you got to stop, right? Full stop. Your last coach was insane. Like, how have you not read it? And then we had to go through that. And a series of coaching exercises worked out some of the legacy practices. Uh, every question like this, ask the person, why do you believe we need this full set of requirements? What is it that you're trying to get from this? What is, what's at risk? What's unsafe? Like safety and fear drive a lot of these, a lot of the backslide. What made you feel unsafe that you felt the need to write four pages? And then start working through that, right? Treat everyone like a human. Ask them what, what, what they're afraid of, why they're unsafe, or they feel unsafe, and then sort that out. What comes after Agile? Randy, I left my crystal ball at home. I, I can't tell the future. I think um, what comes after Agile is more Agile, so we won't call it that anymore. Uh, there's a movement that I'm starting to see in conference talks and on Twitter and in blog posts where we only talk about the desired outcomes. So it's all agile practices. It's all small small pieces of, of software, shit frequently. But we're talking about behaviors, and we're not labeling them anymore. I think that's next. Because agile's a, a dirty word. It's a loaded word. It's a tainted word. So I think the next step, along with that, there's going to be an insane amount of focus on customer. That doesn't exist today, believe it or not. Um, Companies are still in their heads. They think they're the most important thing. And all the politics and mechanisms and fiefdoms and structures, we still cater to that first and then ship to the customer. And so the companies that don't cut down the, the corporate, um, that, that wall, are not going to survive. And there's actually some data. Uh, Robert Hannes uh, was at the Agilinity Conference a few weeks ago as a keynoter. And he basically said companies who don't learn this lesson by 2020, which is around where their you know, the crystal ball is, they don't have this lesson mastered, they won't survive seven years after. So the lifespan of a company will be seven years if you do not have a continuous learning environment that's laser focused on your customer. I think that's next. So, 
is there any kind of to um, companies that have sort of this old guard that just won't go away? They will, they will die. They have a lot of cash reserves, and so they'll be able to burn the cash. They won't make it in the future. It'll be laser focus on customer and validated learnings, like from the lean startup. Yes. I think DevOps is garbage. I hope I see that from somebody, by the way. I want to defend that on Twitter. The funny thing about DevOps is that people can't wait to remove the devs from the ops. But we put them together as a concept. It's just a word like agile. I've offended you again. Our focus was to move any non-functional development work out of development teams and let them code and do what they're supposed to be paid for. It actually is working. We've increased their productivity by 30 to 50% by removing paperwork, automation that doesn't deliver business value. So some of the CI, CD work that isn't actually a business value going to bring money in the door. That's just smart stuff. Yeah. I don't call it DevOps. I call it being smart. So well, and then it also goes into environment support. And it's in fact, doing this least separation of duty. I think you guys are doing very smart things in your organization. Uh, and I think that's a flaw. I think that's, that's wonderful that you're trying to, to help devs free them up to do their work. Uh, that's unusual, right? I think most of the time is when you see in my experience, all I can speak from is my experience, not any of yours. When DevOps pops up, uh, the handoffs get tricky. Uh, there's a there's a lead time. There's a bottleneck situation that occurs, and it's, I stand by the whole DevOps is garbage thing. You're just doing smart things, and you're succeeding because of it. It's not a DevOps thing at all, in my opinion. So I'm, but I'm just a, I'm just one agilist. Forecast delivery. Uh, who asked that? Are you coming to the No Estimates talk? Yes. Can we cover it there? Sure. Thank you. <laughs> Is everyone else okay? Is that you guys want to do all those things? I'm covering it in the next session in No Estimates. So that, How to address resistance to change. So this is a coercion question again. People, people do not resist change. This is, I think this is an Esther Derby quote. Uh, they do not resist change, they resist coercion. Right? I can't make you do anything. If I try to, you're going to push back. Nine times out of ten. Unless I'm trying to make you do something awesome, and then you might do it. But it's not guaranteed. So if there's a resistance to change, it gets back to treating humans like humans. We're all people. This is a people issue. Ask them why they're upset. Ask them where the resistance comes from. Likely it will be a feeling of, of a lack of safety. Something is unsafe about what you're trying to do to them. Uh, and that's the important operative phrase, to them. Then that's how they see it. And it's a series of one-on-ones and conversations and basically treated how you would want to be treated. Right? Do you want me to put you in a new space where you're totally uncomfortable and tell you you will do this? You're going to be measured, and if not, you're out. It's not a great space. Number 10, scrum with a part-time product owner. Don't do this. <laughs> no, like don't even bother with Scrum if you're gonna uh, do it halfway. So I had asked this question. I yeah. think part of it was addressed in the distributed teams, because 
with most of our teams yeah, don't are going that, but we also have some teams where because of uh, how the business line is and where the expertise is, we have the subject matter experts and the dev team kind of at different <coughs> locations. Yeah. So, so the part of the question that I would still like to ask is, if part of there, there's a value of doing agile in a product team, but because of the limitations, you don't have 100% of availability of the product order, is it still a good idea to continue doing that work in that manner as long as we are able to make any benefit out of it? Or should we just abandon that and try to do a whole yeah. pull together? So your question is, is a little bit better than nada? Yeah. Right? Got it. Um, I don't know. I think it depends on what, what outcomes you're seeing. The product owner role, in my opinion, opinion, is the hardest one to perform in Scrum. It is massive. You're a, product, you're a project leader, you're a project manager, you're a program manager, you're a business analyst. You have so many leadership roles. You, are, you answer back to all of the stakeholders, the people writing the checks, you have fiduciary responsibilities, the Scrum Guide says you're supposed to be optimizing the work of the dev team. Everyone goes through you. How you could do that in a part-time manner blows my mind. Most people can't even do it full-time, but it takes teams of people. I think the part-time comes when you have a business analyst on the team and he's taking care of the stories and the cards and the logistics and the product owner more like uh, facilitating things. Then it sounds like a scrum master. I think it's a perversion of, a, of the role. So I, look, I, 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 I see where you're at and I honor that, but I, I won't allow the continued justification of bad scrum. In my opinion, that's bad scrum. It's not following the textbook, but that, that, that's another. But that's another justification. The it's not following the textbook. It's the spirit of the role, right? So we, these are the stories we tell ourselves. Well, I'm not a purist, right? I'm not going to be dogmatic. The practices are in place for a reason, until, and until you're incredibly advanced and successfully shipping valuable software frequently that delights your customer, our first prime directive from the manifesto. My opinion is don't mess with them. How many products do you think the product owner can like, I know they're trying to give multiple products to one person. And they say, oh, well, that is small. This is, so no matter what I, size, I mean. Are we trying to maximize efficiencies and make sure everyone's 100% utilized? Let's work against that mindset. 100% uh, utilization is the, the, an old school goal. Right, that's where we're going. What's, let me ask you this, when you have a highway and you're driving, what happens when the highway is 100% utilized? What does it become? Parking lot. Parking lot. <laughs> right? Same thing with people. People need slack. They need space. Like Tim told us this morning, we need time to think and ideate. So achieving 100% utilization is not a goal. I would, you know, to say one product owner to one product is a little naive on my part. I mean, I don't know your business or your product, but I would urge, I would urge you to have a conversation with your product owners and find out the level of comfort they have. I would imagine in many enterprise situations, enterprise, uh, one's enough. How do we bend people into T's? Uh, there's a great metaphor that Kent Beck came up with on Facebook, and if you search it, he believes in the paint trip person. So when you actually, when you're drawing the T, you know, you have the I, the I have the, the line, and then when you draw that, that across the T part, 
paint drips down. Kent Beck? Yeah, so Kent Beck is like the father of everything we talk about today. So Extreme Programming Explained is a foundational book. If you have not read Extreme Programming Explained, I would highly encourage you to grab it on Amazon before it goes out of print. It is, um, it's a book I read probably every three to six months. It is foundational. But he came up with the paint drip. So when you draw the, the T across, the, or the, the line across the top of the T, there will be many, many different practices and skills that drip down to certain levels. So no one's actually T-shaped <coughs> more paint drip. We all have different skills that get down, that drip down to far different levels. You do that by having a culture of continuous learning. You encourage your, your employees to go to conferences. You encourage uh, all that different type of learning. We still have plenty of time. They're applauding. I don't know what's going on. Um, you, you reward and you incentivize learning. This is how you get people to, to look like the T-shape with the paint drips. Instead of having people being ashamed at their desk, like Tim talked about, for reading a book. Okay. So what's some of your incentives? An easy one is pay for the book. Right? Yeah. So I, where I work now, I can submit a form and they will buy any book that I ask them to buy me. To me, that gives me explicit permission to read the book at work because they pay Okay? So this is my question. My biggest issue I have is uh, infamous work, uh, thing in the stand-up. There's nothing left for me in this work. And I strongly encourage them to, you know, try out a different task that you normally want to take up. I love refused. this situation. This is a great situation. We, we got to, we're, we're midway through the sprint. All of my tasks are done. Go pair with the person who's struggling. Go pair with the person who's not as far ahead of you and work together. Don't bring in another task. Finish your commitment. And then if everybody's finished and you still have two or three days, as a mob, do a couple, do a handful of bugs that have come in and call it a great sprint and go make sure you celebrate that win of meeting your commitment. Sound good? That's what I try. You're right, they're wrong. <laughs> there you go. Is Lean Kanban advanced from? I don't know. I, um, so the more I, I study Scrum and practice it, the more I move towards Kanban. I don't know if this is a natural progression or not. Um, I think Scrum is incredibly value, valuable even at advanced levels. I think Kanban, the way I look at it is Kanban helps us sort through the organizational dysfunction that holds back a Scrum team, right? Especially not Kanban necessarily, but the lean principles and practices. And I think that's where the two find a lot of congruence. So like we said at the beginning, Scrum will find your problems. I think lean helps us solve them. Does that make sense, Joe? Where's Joe? Good? Thanks. Big company, how long and how can we be successful? Uh, vague questions, I'll give a vague answer. Uh, it wasn't that vague, I think you asked a very good question. Agile journeys can be anywhere from three to five to ten years. Semco um, is, a, is a common model. It's a company that, that didn't get to a state of agility until 30 years in. This is not a short trip that we're taking. This is not a six month uh, and we're gold type of thing, or it's not a 12 month forecast. So this is big. And the bigger your company, the longer the time span, in my experience. And how can you be successful in a big company? 
small steps, small experiments, be very visible, and try not to be threatening. Okay. Yeah, in a big company, when you have like the little splinter cell that breaks off and does agile and starts getting good results, the other VPs who want to keep their lake houses and Audis and vacations crush it because it embarrasses them and it exposes them and it threatens their feelings. And that's a common pattern. So don't be threatening to other parts of the organization. Partner with them, small changes, small experiments, uh, have data to prove your improvements. Okay? That's the best high level advice I could give. How much training should devs have? Um, they should have enough training to be competent at what they do. Um, I think it's interesting, you should train them well enough that they can lead and treat them well enough that they don't want to. Is that a good uh, claptrap? Is that a good uh, platitude? But I, but I believe that. I think they should have the tools, expertise, knowledge, and support that they need to successfully do their job. And then treat it well enough that you don't have to work. It's like this question is really, um, what's the minimum investment I can make in case they leave? That's the question behind the question. No, I don't think so in this case. Sometimes. Please clarify. So I'm just, I'm not saying it's your question behind the question. I'm saying this is a common, that's a common question behind the question. And my answer is treat them well enough that it doesn't matter. In your case, what was your? I think my question is more, you know, so, so somebody gets the idea that Agile is going to solve problems, you know, management gets Agile training, you bring in, Contractors, you bring in, in consultants, you bring in agile coaches, you, tra you, you train scrum masters, but the people that have to make the biggest change, the developers, yep. get the least training, and you ask them to go out and and, and make make this huge transition in the way they do work. It's a huge mistake. So you have very talented developers, I'm sure. They're not scrum developers, which is a whole new skill set. I think Scrum Alliance offers a certified scrum developer. It's a five-day, it's a week-long course of intensive development practices. You're trying to launch a high-performance scrum team, I, there's, that's a great way to get them up to speed, and I highly recommend it. Uh, Scrum.org has a similar offering, which you may want to talk to David West about, who's here. Um, he probably has great information about that. I think those classes are minimum to teaching developers, very talented developers, how to be talented scrum developers, because there's a wide difference. <coughs> Okay. Do you have to train them all, or do you train your champions? Train them all. Why create haves and have nots? Because it's expensive. And life is expensive. Yeah. <laughs> Iteration interruptions from Ken. Where's Ken? So you have uh, someone swooping in and interrupting your iterations. Management. Management. Um, the best advice here, without knowing your detail, is just when they swoop into a team. Empower the team to ask them to talk to the product owner. The manager, the manager's product, then you got your problem. So, yeah, so now it's, um, yeah, that's just, that's not scrum. That's, that's a power play. The scrum master has to be left. What's that? The scrum master has to go beat him up. Yeah, I think that's a spot where, so when you decide that you're going to become a scrum master, you're also deciding that you might get fired every once in a while. I feel like an agile coach even. I put my job on the line at least every every month. 
And if I'm not doing that, I'm not being a professional. It's a job I chose. And the hazard is that you're going to say that, like the, when I hit you with that, the, the information I hit you with, if I say that to a VP in my company, he might walk me out. Might. I mean, it's hard. It's true. So there cannot be a fear to speak truth to authority. You owe that to your team to serve a leader. Like you have to love your teams enough that you're willing to get fired to protect them. And if you're not there, get out of the scrum master role. Okay? Bob Norm tell them. What's that? Bob Norm tell them. He will tell them. He's a man of high integrity. He will tell them. Uh, resistance to change from the business. Uh, this is back to have a conversation with the business. How have we made the business feel unsafe? Are we releasing too often that they can't keep up? <clears throat> Common issue. Let's say we got really good at, at Scrum as a team, but we didn't bring the business along. Well, now we're making them look bad because the marketing materials aren't keeping up, um, the boxes aren't ready, the trade show is unclear, whatever it is, this is a collaborative effort, right? So they've probably been left behind at some point. This is one of those where you just ask them. And I've, I'll show a slide here at the end if we got time on, on a format that really is powerful to, to bring this conversation forward. How do we have accountability for continuous learning? Alan. Um, What's up? Yeah, this was this is kind of like just like a tactical question. I mean, at a, so if you have multiple teams and you, you know, during like a, a an inspect and adapt or like a retro and you know, they might throw some things that might be at a program level, at a team level, at a person level, how kind of like so I was just wanting to get some thoughts on how do you um, get accountability, like you assign ownership, because in my experience, it's easy to kind of solicit ideas like that, but it's a lot harder to actually keep track and try to like implement them as you keep driving forward. Yeah, I find invitation to be a great way to, to deal with this. Uh, accountability is interesting, Jessica, correct me where I get off track. So Jessica's a very talented uh, coach of the responsibility process, and it's far more now, I'm a newbie to the responsibility process, so help me out if I get off track, okay? So accountability is external. Right? Accountability is responsibility imposed on you. I'm going to make you do something or hold you accountable for doing something which you may or may not accept, which is a problem. Right? Invitation is far more powerful. So in a retrospective, when five ideas come up for continuous improvement, as a scrum master, I would ask, who wants to own one of these? Who wants to make sure this happens? Now they're making a commitment on their own free will to their teammates. Now that's per, that's responsibility, right? Accountability would mean saying, do this. That sucks. And it's not a part of Scrum or Agile. There is no command, right? We removed command and control from the process and we called voluntarism, invitation, and servant leadership, okay? It's like pin drop. <laughs> so if nobody steps up to, to kind of take that on, is it just does that kind of just reflect that it's really not that big of a It's not a big deal. Place? It's yeah. not worth the the uh, the juice wasn't worth the squeeze. Hey, um, Ryan, can you put it in a backlog? Huh? Like if that comes out of the red book, put whatever it is that's suggested in the backlog. Sure. Seems like Definitely. Invitation and not coercion or command. Yes. Or if, or if it's important, it'll come up again. Always. It always repeats if it's important. Themes are a wonderful thing. It's, hey guys, we've seen this five times in the last five retros. Who will own this? Sometimes a scrum master has to own it. 
uh, and, and, sh and model that responsibility and leadership to the team, right? That's part of our role too. We are modeling behaviors. So as coaches and scrum masters, we don't get to slip and say silly things. We don't get to um, react badly to an event that disturbs us. We are models of leadership, of servant leadership and responsibility daily. It's another one of those like, oh, this is a big responsibility and if you cannot manage that, get out of it, okay? What is the definition of agile? I don't know. <laughs> um, to me, the agile manifesto is the definition of agile, that's it. Everything else is nonsense. It is, a, it is four values and 12 principles and that is how we base all of our work. Yes? So let me clarify the translation. Um, higher ups, higher than Agile coach, who trained the organization. So at that level, we're doing Agile. We've been coached and trained. Sure. What's actually happening is waterfall. Yeah. So we don't have a common shared understanding of what Agile is. Sounds like your coach has work to do. Well, his contract's up. He did his oh. work. <laughs> <laughs> so you guys didn't transform anything. Training on a concept, uh, there was no commitment. There was no buy-in or opt-in. Uh, some pressure or event happened, and we, and we backslid, right? Not you, but just in general. No, I mean, you described the environment. Yeah, this is common. These things happen a lot, right? So this is, I'm not just and pulling it from you. It's, these, these are patterns that happen over and over and over and over and over. <laughs> Fixed bid how-to from one of the Ryans. Which Ryan was it? That Ryan. Cool. Um, I've been in this situation. I may or may not hypothetically be in this situation now. Uh, no, I'm not. But uh, I have been in it, and it doesn't go well. So if you have a fixed bid contract, Break down the work as small as possible and go build it. Don't waste time on estimation. Uh, don't waste time on complicated ceremonies. If you have a fixed bid, that means you have fixed scope, right? You've already fixed your scope. You're not discovering anything. Break down the, the MVP, the smallest possible slice of every feature you've already committed to. Are you mad? But you've done it? And then go build it and get, and get customer feedback quickly. Uh, don't drop the collaboration, don't drop the, 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 the customer with you at all times, but treat it like it's fixed scope and slice it as small as possible. Spiral to whatever date that you crazily agreed to in the future and just make sure you're making progress. This is a bad place to be, but it's very, very common. Okay. Real quick, I mean, I think the three of us work together and we're in that transition from yeah. waterfall to agile, but that's how our business prioritizes and gets money, yep. business cases, right? So we want to do this in an agile fashion. We want to have it delivered you know, as soon as we can. Tell me how much it's going to cost. I want to be 180 pounds and eat cake for every meal. I'm with you. So I, I, don't, know how to make that, I don't know how to make that work. But I, you can still have the craftsmanship and the practices, but what are you discovering from a product perspective when the scope's fixed? I don't know. Maybe you're, maybe you're discovering how small you can slice it, and that could be an interesting way to frame it. But this is a, this is a difficult situation. 
So like I said, slice each feature as small as possible, get them in front of the customer as soon as possible. Hopefully that shakes out more trust, more discussion, and perhaps that lets you eventually veer away from this heavy contractual based uh, working mode. Common reasons for failure, everything we just talked about. <laughs> everything we just covered. Um, I'll give a few as a recap. A scrum master who's not a scrum master. If you're not willing to get canned, if you won't speak truth to power, if you don't love your team more than yourself, um, if you're not serving them before you serve your own interests, that kills your team. Um, I think that's critically important. I think uh, invitation, voluntarism, opt-in, as opposed to coercion, command, force. Uh, command and force is a failure for the start. Like that just doesn't work. Uh, and not really thinking through the manifesto. Like most people are like, we got the consultant, we got training, uh, and now we're agile. <coughs> And I would, I would propose to you that you're not. I think you paid a lot of money for training, and I think you're, you're starting. Uh, a practice that I have found to be helpful is, I will actually, and this sounds crazy, but probably for the last five to six years, I'll look at the manifesto every week and journal about some new thought. And over six years, two pages have led to multiple notebooks being filled without repetition, and how they apply to my current life and context. I do the same for the scrum guy. My goal is to understand that thing inside out to the point to where uh, I know in my context exactly how these lessons and practices and ideas apply. But I think that's part of our professional responsibility. We should know these things inside and out. We should understand that our primary purpose uh, as agilists is to frequently deliver valuable software that delights our customer. And anything that detracts from that, don't do. Okay. I promised a few slides. Um, people ask about management. If you want to take a picture and give that to your manager, that's what they do on a scrum team. So when you ask what happened to management, that's management. Well, I'm, I'm pretty impressed we didn't focus on that this time. So that's actually really neat. Um, I'll give you guys a second to take pictures. And then this is actually available, right? I'll make this all available. Um, keep in mind that we're telling successful people, and we would talk about this, that what everything that they thought was right is wrong, and that's uncomfortable and scary and unsafe, because this impacts everyone. Uh, responses to change. So we talked a lot about this, but asking people questions. Do managers know what they're supposed to be doing? What they're supposed to be doing? Uh, are there personal conflicts causing resistance? Did we take, are we replacing someone's process or basically calling their baby ugly? You know, all those things that you shouldn't do. Um, leading causes of failed agile projects, it's philosophy and culture. You know, it's not people and technology, it's an overriding kind of culture. Yeah. I'm getting the, we're out of time mark, but um, I promised, there's a Stacy diagram. What was the other one? Which one did I say I had a slide on? Oh, cumulative flow. No, that wasn't it. I can't remember. This, um, business alignment. So this is a very simple tool. So people ask, how do we align dev teams with the business? Uh, sit down and get alignment. <laughs> it's, it's really that simple. 
The labels across the top are quarters. There's market, features, architecture, events, and schedule. Sit down and map everything you know about your business and your development plans. And then draw the lines on dependencies. And have that conversation every month, every quarter, whatever cadence makes sense. This is how you achieve alignment. You actually sit down and talk to your business partners. And make everything visible. I think we hit the time box, so that's it. Thanks for listening to Agile for Humans. Let's keep the conversation going. Drop us a question on Twitter at Agile for Humans or visit agileforhumans.com. Hey, it's Ryan. If you're enjoying this show and want to take a deeper dive into Scrum with me and Todd, check out agileforhumans.com forward slash training. Be sure to also look at the show notes to subscribe to our newsletter, get a copy of our book, Fixing Your Scrum, and learn more about working with us at Agile for Humans. Thanks for listening and scrum on.